0: What a summer we've had, Liz. Mm. It's been awful in Australia this
1: summer. Hey, I yeah. Look, we talked a little bit about it. Oh, firstly, I'm so glad I can have a conversation with you outside of my closet. <laughs> yeah, welcome back, Liz. Thank you, thank you. It's so nice to actually sit in the same room with you because a flood isn't keeping me away from you, nor a fire. But back to your point, it has been a really challenging summer. It really has. Um, for
0: everyone listening, welcome back to the Social Work Stories podcast. We're really thrilled to be back for 2020. This is our first episode for the year. I'm Mim Fox and I'm here with Liz Murphy.
1: Hello. Hello. Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you. Here we are in you know February and it kind of feels like, gosh, it's a new decade as well. It absolutely. I, because I don't think Australians really had... The option of celebrating New Year and Christmas and the summer break. Um, That's right, yeah. For many, all their plans were put on
0: hold, whole towns were put on hold. You know, it was really a time of trauma,
1: I think, across the country. And I think it'll be one of those Christmases that there was life before. Yeah. We lived our life a certain way before and then there was the post-2019 fires, 2020 fires. Um, and what that's meant for so many Australians. That's right.
0: So last year we uh, were at the ANSWA Symposium, the Australia-New Zealand Social Work Education and Research Symposium, and some of our regular listeners will remember that last year we started a mini-season stemming from that conference about activism and social work practice. And so we had some really great episodes towards the end of last year around that theme. And we're going to continue that again today, Liz. I'm so pleased to sort of bring this story and this more so a conversation to people today about eco-social work, which I know is really
1: close to your heart as well. It is so close to my heart. But I feel like because I've been out practising for about 30 years, I have never heard of this model of social work. I was so excited when I listened to this interview and as you know, I... I contacted you and went, is this a theory? <laughs> Why haven't I been told about this theory? How dare they not tell me about this theory? Because it's something, as you know, I'm also a permaculturalist. Yes. And it's so exciting. This is another theory that I'm really thirsty to learn more about. Because when I add it to my toolbox or my gardening shed or my wheelbarrow. You're the only
0: person I know, Liz, who could come out of the closet and out themselves as a permaculturalist.
1: Oh, <laughs> no, honestly, I think before we started recording, I said to you, the three themes to permaculture, yeah, marry so beautifully to social work values. It's earth care, yeah, people care, yeah, fair share. Now, if we were a succinct profession, which we are like not, permaculturalists obviously are. <laughs> don't you reckon that boils it down oh
0: absolutely no I think that's fantastic so there are a lot of our listeners now going uh I'm not a gardener I'm not I want those listeners to know I'm with you 100% and we're going to get into that but hang in there because this conversation isn't just about how do you spend more time in the garden this is actually about a method of practice that we can start to engage with on a more broader level as a profession, as well as as individuals. So I'm um, really pleased to bring everyone this conversation. I'm gonna let our colleagues, uh, members of our tribe, speak for themselves because they int- they introduced themselves at the beginning of the conversation. And it was a real pleasure to be with their, with them at the Answorth Symposium. I so they sounded such it was passionate great.
1: women. Yeah. Um, I love listening to their conversation. Yeah.
0: So let's give it over to everyone and um, we'll see you in a second, guys. See you soon.
2: Hi, I'm Sue Bailey, and I identify as an eco-social worker. And I do that because I know that humans are part of nature. So to position our social work practice in the systems in which we live makes perfect sense.
3: I'm Marilyn Palmer. I teach in the social work program at Edith Cowan University with Sue um, on the Bunbury campus and have done for many, many years, and I became, I probably have always been an eco-social worker. The story that's so interesting, I think, to share is that I thought for a long time that I couldn't bring my ecological concerns and interests and work as a peace activist and Greens candidate into my social work education, because I don't know why, I didn't think I could do that, but I eventually discovered that you could, that. Education for sustainability was a thing in universities and since then and since liaising and meeting others like Naomi and Antonia and Sue um, and coming together and using the language of eco-social work. Now I'm on a roll now.
4: I'm Naomi Godden, Um, I identify as an activist. Um, I'm an activist in climate justice, in gender justice and social justice. Um, I'm also involved in the social work program at ECU with Marilyn and Sue. I also co chair the Women's Climate Justice Collective, which is a national movement of women demanding climate justice, but ensuring that um, climate action is undertaken with a gendered lens so that the, the rights of women and people of other genders are um, addressed in all climate action. And I'm also an elected councillor at the Shire of Augusta Margaret River, and I bring a social justice and climate justice lens into that policy making and decision making space, which um, is an incredible privilege and opportunity, but also can be extremely frustrating. Um, So for me, I guess having been an activist, you know, since my early teens and living in an environment, I live in Margaret River, which is a beautiful part of Western Australia, an incredible environment that is severely under threat under climate change. And so being so connected to nature there and understanding the intersection between environmental degradation, climate change and social justice Um, For me, it's just a normative part of my practice, and really has always been.
5: Hello, I'm Antonia Hendrick, and I'm a social work academic at Curtin University. And um, I identify as lots of things, I think. essentially as a human in nature um, and part of nature and it's been a big part of who I am and my upbringing um, and I've been connected to you know waterways and creeks and so on growing up and they're just really fond memories and feeling connected to nature has been really important um, and the health and well-being that that gives you as an experience as a human being I think is really um not is something that I think is really important in my work as a social worker and to bring that to my teaching. And working with Sue and Marilyn in the first instance around um, community development, which brought us together, uh, and then extending that into eco-social work has been really important uh, part of practice and writing collectively as well. And now recently meeting Naomi, which is really inspirational as well. So.
3: One of my areas of coming into eco-social work and using it as a term um, and where the links are quite strong in the literature is around disaster response. So um, I did a, um, a study back in the 1990s in t- around the response to the Greystown cliff collapse now near Margaret River um, where a number of um, children and adults died and that got me interested in, in looking at leadership and how leadership ha- plays out um, in, in disasters. More recently though, we're really all confronted with the impact of climate change on disasters and the increase in number of bushfires, so I've recently gone back and looked at um, leadership around the response to the Yarloop bushfire in Western Australia where again, there were fatalities but also much more physical damage to houses and in fact the whole town was severely um, damaged and came close to being destroyed, which of course it hasn't, like all communities it's rallied, but still it had a huge amount of damage done. So working around that area and understanding the link between climate change and the disadvantage for people who are on low incomes, for um, elderly people and for people who are going to be severely impacted by disasters knowing full well that, ha- that a community has to recover from a disaster in a way that doesn't replicate the disadvantages around gender and class and ethnicity that were often there before the disaster. So looking, that's been a really powerful connection for me and more recently looking at how you research in those areas.
4: Mm. And that's a really good point, Marilyn. Because the reality is that, and, and there's a heap of research that shows this, that climate change exacerbates existing vulnerabilities. So it doesn't cause people to become vulnerable. It actually exacerbates the systems and structures of inequality that we already have. And and that's where, as climate justice activists, researchers, teachers, and people that care about this issue, um, what I'm what I'm learning and have really engaged with. And I think we're really committed to collectively is that we need to confront the system that's causing climate change in the first place. We need to dismantle and tackle that and transform into something new. And I I speak to the students regularly about how it's the white supremacist, imperialist, capitalist patriarchy that we need to untangle, destroy, um, and then rise up with a a transformed system that's based on the rights of people and nature, um, where people and environment are intimately connected and people understand their reliance and their dependence on the environment And that the environment would flourish without us. In fact, it'd be better if we weren't here. And so, you know, this human centeredness that we have currently in this white supremacist, imperialist, capitalist patriarchy is what's extremely problematic. If we can move to understanding people as one of a multiple of species within this enormous ecosystem that we exist exist in, in the biosphere, then it shifts our thinking considerably.
2: I, I think that connects into some of the work that you're doing, Antonia, with First Nations people.
5: Yeah, Yeah, I was thinking the same as well, listening to you speak, Naomi, that um, what's what's been really important in uh, some of the work that has happened uh, and involved at Curtin University is um, working with some Aboriginal elders and who have come to work with us as a staff group as well as a student group around starting to really think about ourselves in a different space. So rethinking... Yeah. Um, our relationships with one another but also the land and the environment so the deep connection that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples have with land um, and country and the sicknesses and illnesses that can come from disconnection from those spaces and places is really important so it really gets students thinking at a different level and a level that connects them in different ways to um, country and uh, the environment, I think, and yeah, so that's been really important.
2: What I wanted to to add to that is is so, I think about pra- social work practice because I, I, this is a, a podcast about practice, but I think about research, education, and conversations as a part of research, uh, as a part of social work. So it doesn't sit within that idea of of where. know doing social work practice it's just the very way that we engage and have conversations and work to effect change whether it's at an interpersonal level through conversation to raise awareness or (laughs) in climate strikes where we're actually trying to get government to rethink its really destructive policies on on, uh, you know uh, oil and gas you know uh, industries Mm. I
4: think the key here is is, is I would love to see all social workers identify as activists and see everything that we do, whether it's in our work individually on our own self-reflection, on our work with communities, um, in our teams, in our structural changes with our organisations, in, in lobbying that we're involved in, to seeing everything that we do as activism. And we're working towards challenging and transforming the systems of, mm. that are problematic and working towards this transformation um, in a really deliberate and collective way. And if there was ever a time for social workers to claim activism as our mode of practice, now is it. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the predictions around climate change are just so horrific. Um, the, if we go along, keep going on the track that we're going, the fate of humanity will be, you know, I don't even really want to name it, it's just so devastating. Um, and so we, we need to really claim that and claim our space in that as really one of the few professions that we have on the globe that is focused around working collectively for social change with a systems lens, which is so powerful (laughs) and use that and really claim the activism that we can and, and really, I think, feel that collectively and and grasp that power and take that power. Um, And and obviously doing it in partnership with communities and supporting and organising and mobilising with our communities that supports others, particularly vulnerable people and oppressed peoples, to stand up and rise up as leaders and to lead movements for social change. We have such opportunity and power to do that.
3: I couldn't agree more. there there are elements but it concerns me when people talk about eco-social work as if it's a field of practice or if it's a domain of practice, mm-hmm. when in fact it actually applies and can work across and needs to across all of the fields of practice and all of the domains of practice. It's a way of working in social work, which has been around from the beginning of social work, because it is about collective collective practice. But we do we think collectively when we do individual casework. I've got a background in child protection and I know that I was bringing those values and those ideas about collectivity and about connection, about relationships and family and well being. Um and how you how you might achieve that in the context back then in the in, in the in the 1980s in relationship to the peace movement because that was the big existential threat we had there was around nuclear war. Mm. And so the one the existential threat we've got now is very similar but bigger because then we were just relying on one person not to push a button. Mm. We've already begun the process that's going to cause climate that is causing climate change right now, and we're seeing right now the impacts of that all across the globe. Mm. And so For me, it's understanding that this is a way of doing social work which builds on the traditions of feminism, of radical social work, of the anti-psychiatry movement, all of the history that's there. And it leads us also to transdisciplinary practices. I agree 100% with Naomi. We are so well-placed. Because we've got systems theory, we've got the history, we've got the skills, we've got Jane Addams in our background in settlement houses. Much of what I've heard at the conference today is really just modern-day settlement houses. Some of the practice that people are talking about is modern-day Jane Addams-type work. So working with those other disciplines which have got a little corner of them, doctors, nurses, all of um, planners... of these people who are actually wanting to deal with this issue as well and we can work with them.
4: So at ECU, uh, Marilyn, Sue and I are currently forming an interdisciplinary research group on climate justice. We're bringing together academics from environmental science, public health, education, the arts, social work obviously, Um, uh, probably business and law and engineering. We'll grab whoever we can that's interested in this space to come together and to develop and conduct in partnership with communities really effective strategic research um, and in, in, in that action research process so the feminist participatory action research approach which is very much about working with communities to undertake research to inform advocacy and activism to bring about social change. What's been really exciting for us is that there's so much interest across the university and actually like quite a desperate appetite yeah. from academics across various disciplines to come together and make this happen. It's Firstly it's really smart because we can leverage off the collective intelligence and intellect across the university and we'll obviously include you know other universities and first nations elders and other community leaders in this group as well secondly um, you know if social work is struggling for money which it often does other fields particularly medicine mm. and you know sometimes the sciences engineering can access good money, so we partner with them and we would be really clever about where we can access the funds we need to do good research. Mm -hmm. And thirdly, by being interdisciplinary, by publishing and participating in spaces outside of the, I guess, the traditional social work space, we as social workers will be influencing so many other sectors and spaces and i think that is what is so exciting as will the environmental sciences be influencing us and and so on because it's this way of of sharing and and building knowledge collectively so i think this is a a really exciting moment in time um, for us as academics Mm. and and as activists in this space The fact that the university is very supportive of that and is enabling that is wonderful and gosh I think we're just excited to see
2: where it can go. Maybe that's a watch this space. I I just want to add on to um, Naomi's comment because I've been doing some transdisciplinary work the University of Western Australia. So there's a multidisciplinary team who is working to raise awareness in farmers about how they can do things differently. So what UWA have done is they've bought a farm out in the wheat belt. So that's an area that is really struggling, both in terms of uh, the decline of rural populations because people are leaving, but also in terms of you know impacts of climate change, so drought and 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 a confusion about uh, and and a real despair really because farmers have been doing this work for so many years for generations now they've been blamed for climate change and now they've been told that the way that they're doing things isn't working. So what the the Ridgefield farm out in Pingerley does is it actually trials and and also it's a working farm that runs for a profit so it provides a really good model of how farmers can you know adopt and, and look at some of the regenerative agricultural stuff. But in terms of what social work is doing, so one of the things that, that I did in that space is community development work where did a bit of an asset map and to understand the needs of the community and what was really clear is that the university hadn't engaged at all with First Nations people. So one of the things that I did was built the relationship and then you know, we, we put an acknowledgement sign up on the farm and then had a, um, a, a, you know, a, a barbecue But what it did was it really, you know, there there is a lot of discrimination still in in some of our rural areas. And so what that did is it signalled that UWA actually really takes that seriously um, and that it actually is modelling a way of of working with uh, First Nations people because they know that country better than anybody. They've got stories and history that are you know, are just starting to be heard because they're starting to feel a little bit safe to to say that. Um, yeah, so that that's sort of one of the examples of that transdisciplinary work. There's a committee that we have animal biologists, we have uh, plant, crop people, um, engineering, architecture and uh, social work sort of sitting on that, that committee. And the work that I've been doing is around theorising what what is actually going on there so that that collective work this is collective work and this is what it's called and this is what the aim is of it Yeah.
5: And what's really exciting about that, and um, following your progress through that Sue, as well, is um, how there's decolonising practices and it's centralising Indigenous ways of knowing, doing, and being, which is really exciting to um, see that unfold and be a part of that to some degree as well. Um, and I guess this isn't multidisciplinary, but within uh, a unit that I teach, community development, students are asked to do a strengths, weakness, opportunities, threats, SWOT analysis in their local um, community. And And they do that um, based on First Nations expressions within that particular community. So they're, for the first time, seeing community in a very different way. And often it's physical assets and the the beauty and what's actually there, which actually brings a different layer and lens to their social work understanding and practice. And it's really a rich Mm. um, resource that they then bring into the teaching space that they share with their colleagues as
3: well, which is, um, yeah, really great. One of the areas, of course, because we're educators, is looking at what happens in the classroom. And we talk about collective as practice, and we, it's so easy for educators to forget that you're working with collectives all the time in the classroom. So bringing eco-social work into the classroom does, doesn't have to, but it can lead to transformative learning practices because that's the kind of obvious connection between eco-social work and, and, and teaching, because you're working with the collective and you're wanting to create opportunities for deconstructing the power relationships in the classroom, and as well as the content, the process by which people are learning. Um, yeah, so that's another a place where it, um, it, it gets acted out. And, and
2: so I, I just want to add one sentence to that. People in the community are hungry to know how to work as collectives. They've mm-hmm. lost that art mm-hmm. and um, because we've been marinating in neoliberalism. So they're hungry mm. and really looking for uh, examples of and some training around how, how to do that.
4: And I think um, the best thing that social workers community members anyone who has an interest in any aspect of social change could do is find your local activist group (laughs) every single community has them Um, mine has several Um, some may only have a couple and activism is in so many different forms you know it can be the community garden it might be a climate action group it may be a little homelessness action group it 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 might be the community center you know if we if we rethink these as they're all spaces of activism particularly if people are organizing together to mobilise their community to demand something different and to bring about something different, then every 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 there are all these spaces for activism. Um, I think that you know we have a lot of really great wise and. Uh, activist, you know, leaders and and people with a lot of experience in Australia, Um, Marilyn being, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Marilyn Sue Antonia, you know, being some great examples of that. Um, And particularly for young social workers, like if you, if this interests you and and you see this desire to be part of movements for social change, find these elders and work with them and learn together because the the knowledge is there. A big learning for me was consensus decision making. Now I was never taught that at university, I did a group work unit and you know it was, it was, we definitely didn't go into the realm of consensus as a theory but it's been participating in grassroots radical activist groups where I've really learned that and it's a skill that I can never undo now and I love it and it has such an influence on the way I work with people as a social worker, in my activist spaces, as a researcher and as an educator. Um, and that's just one of the many skills that you would learn through activism. What activism does is it, and participating in activist collectives, what it does is it, it, you become more than just, that's your five hours of volunteer a fortnight, or, you know, my practice is over here in my workplace. It it permeates everything, including your personal life and your family, where you approach life. With an activist lens for challenging systems of un- injustice mm-hmm. and working together to bring about something that's radically different and that's going to work for everyone, and um, and really feeling excited and claiming that is an extremely liberating experience mm-hmm. in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were talking about earlier about how we feel in 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 doing this work, and I feel. You know, sometimes I feel very um, enraged and angry and frustrated and deeply sad. But most of the time I'm super energised. I'm so excited. I'm really, I I get a real buzz off this work. I get a buzz from going to the climate strike, but I also get a buzz from being in an activist meeting where we're organising an event or organising an activity or we're, you know, collectively talking about the world that we want or, you know, these things, because that's all part of the process. And the more that we can engage in these really exciting Um, transformational dialogue and discussions about what the world could be like and then making that happen in their own communities in whatever way that we can I think that again the more powerful we'll be but also the more healthy and happy we will be so really it's it's grabbing that (laughs) and enjoying it
1: (laughs) (laughs) every time I listen to it I learn something more yeah and again their passion but I wanted to pick it up, Mim, with the point that one of the women make about how activism can look differently in different for for different people, right? Mm. So that she sounded very much engaged in um, protest and uh, you know climate change activism, but I was also thinking about the different ways in which we can practice that as social workers in our practice. And I, I was thinking about things like the food security work that's been done yes. by social workers because we know that many of our clients cannot afford nutritious food. Absolutely. Yeah, the yeah, work yeah. that many of the social workers are doing with connecting people with through community gardens, one yeah. of the neighbourhood centres that I used to work at, that was a connecting point for many of the men in the neighbourhood. And it was a way of addressing the the isolation, the social isolation there, yeah. um, but also connecting them to earth yes. and 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 the, the natural resources around them. Exactly,
0: yeah. it's this notion of climate justice, Liz, that they the women spoke to as well. Which I think, when we think about uh, climate change, we often don't, with all the media and hype that's happening, we often don't think about the impact on the individual people yeah. and the lack of the social injustice that actually comes about as a result of this, uh, I think bringing those stories to light is actually one of the really important roles that social work can
1: play here. Absolutely, and earlier we had talked off, Mike, about the skills that social workers can actually bring to the whole conversation Yeah. that I would imagine many countries are similar to Australia but it can be quite divisive depending on what circles you have conversations in. The whole issue of climate change can essentially divide a room and I think one of the important things that social workers can bring to the conversation is the ability to listen and to get a sense of where the person's coming from in their discussion around it. It's so easy to kind of write someone off as some right-wing person with you know that doesn't actually um, read the science or or have a sophisticated thinking around it but we know that we lost an election based on those assumptions and one of the things that I think we can do better is to understand what the thinking is is it about that people don't believe in climate change or is it that they're really worried about paying their rent that or that losing their jobs and I think that northern Queenslander um, issue where yeah. we lost a lot of votes yeah. up there. I think it was around that and the fact that we need to listen and understand where people are coming from. Oh, look, I agree with you. But, gosh, that's hard and oh, that's
0: generous I'm and it takes so much empathy. Oh, Liz, like I have to say I find it really tiring having to be the one always listening. And, um, and I know that there's a lot of social workers out there who feel – that they are the lone voice in a lot of these discussions and these issues and they're known in their families as the one who's always, you know, putting their opinion forward and being the one to morally speak out and, oh, the social worker's going to say that again. And it, it can get exhausting. What I really loved about that notion of conversation is that to be an activist, an activist, doesn't mean that you have to pound the pavement. It doesn't mean you have to take the stage all the time, right? Like it actually can be embedded in this method of conversation Mm. and I think that is actually really eye-opening to people that they can achieve a lot on a one-on-one level around climate justice and climate change.
1: Yeah. Uh, And and that it doesn't have to be massive either. That, you know, for instance, the hospital that I worked at last year we decided to have a green policy in the department and we, you know, tracked where all the paper was going and we planted up plants for all the offices and we recycled all the toilet. Like there are there are things that we can do in our lived work as well. Yes. Um, and I think the time is absolutely right for it. And for Australians at the moment, I think everyone, no matter how you vote... Mm everyone now can look at the past summer and go yes yeah, something is really wrong here and we actually do need to come together around this and and one of the things i found heartening about listening to what it's been like for some people you know watching tv or listening to you know friends of friends is that it has been bringing communities together yes to rebuild um, and I think this is a perfect opportunity for and we know that social workers will be involved in this particular part of the recovery They've been part of the crisis they'll be part of the community building that goes yeah. on and we do have a lot to bring to that space um and you know like I think we we are possibly the canaries in the coal mine you know Australia experiences a summer like this our northern hemisphere, colleagues are probably about to experience something very similar we know that California is quite similar in regards to some of the the fires that they've been having but social workers are needing to kind of think through I guess well how do we work in this space one of the things Mim that um, I just wanted to pick up that really struck a chord for me is one of the women said that there is a strong link between the people who are already disadvantaged who are already, you know, vulnerable? That climate change can exacerbate that.
0: Yeah, natural disasters. One of the things that's been sitting with me while I've been listening to you just now, Liz, is that being being a family living in poverty, right? You're already prey to the whims of. Uh, Big organisations like big supermarket chains and all of these. You're so reliant on all of these um, larger, you know, often often families are paying for their shopping with uh, vouchers from um, NGOs and things like that, right? But then they're going to these big uh, multi-conglomerate organisations to get their shopping. And they're prey then to the power of the being a consumer. So it's cheaper for them to get unhealthy food. It's cheaper for them often to buy food that is covered in layer upon layer of packaging, right? And then they're then having to make shortcuts around their, co- their shopping and the nutrition for their families because they're already at the whim of society. Does that make sense? Totally. And then when you bring this idea of – It's almost like, and I have heard lots of people say this, that climate change is um, like a luxury of an issue. It's totally fine for people who are well off to be standing on their pedestal about this. But for those people who are on the poverty line, they don't have that luxury. And I think that's where that sentiment comes from, that actually part of the social work, work that we're doing with people has to be around finding... Their place in all of this, and finding the morals and values that go alongside some of this everyday decision making, that actually can put some of this
1: into perspective. Does that? Does it, that? Make no, sense? I think I think you raise a really good point, and pe- perhaps one of the things that I would, um, I both agree, but I challenge, mm. is around the, the 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 fact that food is cheaper in supermarkets. Yeah. One of the things that I, I really worry about is the fact that we've got a whole generation, maybe two generations now, who have lost contact with earth and who do not know how to grow their own food, which is ultimately, by the way, cheaper than the supermarkets. Yeah. It's like that there, there has been a lost knowledge. So, like I know my grandparents grew most of the food that was eaten, but that has been lost. Yeah. And so I think that there are some social workers working in that space and, you know, lots of other professions too around recouping some of that knowledge. Again, the community garden works that are being done with some of the public housing um, estates that we know, it's really important that, you know, that there is also that link between affordability but also the, the, the value of actually having contact with earth and with other people in that space as well moving away from that therapeutic model of oh yeah we sit in four walls and we talk through a problem sometimes digging in the soil is going to be so much more healing for some people than that particular model you know i completely agree with you but there is an entire
0: aspect of me that's sitting here going i ain't digging in the soil (laughs) like i'm an urban urban social worker okay i work I live and work in a city. I don't have the soil to be playing around in. I am dependent on um, supermarkets. I also am, live in an area of Sydney where I can access farmer markets, but not everybody does. And so I'm, I totally hear what you're saying, but I think for me, when I think about eco-social work, I don't automatically ascribe it to Um, getting down on my hands and knees in the ground. For me, eco-social work is very much around a broader understanding of sustainability. Um, You know for me that um, clothing sustainability is a really important passion area personally for me. And so I bring that into discussions with my students when we're talking about working with families. Um, I used to bring it into my practice all the time around how do we reuse, repair, recycle. These are the concepts for me that I find much more fundamental. And I loved with the um, women that we've heard from today about that talking about education sustainability. That we're not educating in the short term We're not actually working with our students on how do we solve the problems of now. We're working with them on a much larger scale to create change in our world. And, um, and when they think about themselves and their own educational development, that it's not, what have I achieved at the end of this class? It's not, what have I achieved doing this assessment? It's, what have I achieved overall in this subject? And what have I achieved overall in my degree? And what am I gonna take from all of that into the longer term of my professional development education in my career? that these notions of sustainability are broader? Totally. You know what I mean? Absolutely, Mim. That's what makes sense to me. I ain't digging in the ground with you.
1: No. (laughs) Look, you may not be digging in the soil with me in the near future, but I'm in for the long haul. Exactly. And, and, you know, I, I can wait. I can, I, I can, uh, yeah, there's, there's no problem with that. What about but we come to it in between, Liz, and we collaborate in different ways? And I can definitely teach you how to compost in your apartment for sure. That I'm I looking forward do, to. I can definitely do that. That
0: I'm looking forward to because seriously, I do need some tips around that. But um, listeners, if you're listening, feel free to post for me some any tips about indoor composting. But also, Let's take it back to the conversation we heard already, which was where these wonderful colleagues of ours were talking about an interdisciplinary approach to social work research in this space and how it has to be collective, collaborative work. And I wholeheartedly agree with that notion, Liz, that social work cannot exist in this space alone. There are a number of disciplines that actually are coming at this concept of eco Environmental concerns and the environment as a si- one of the systems that surrounds us that actually have vast expertise, and we need to be working together in uh, this regard.
1: I, I, the idea of that farm yeah. that they talked about that, that 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 the farm that they'd set up yeah 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 I thought that was an incredibly he exciting model of I do because my some of my heritage is from outback Australia right yeah and so I, <laughs> I know that it's hard to go back to this hometown and be the left-leaning, liberal... The voice literally in the wilderness. Absolutely. But I could certainly be able to engage with community and so I think social work brings so much to that project. Yeah. We have to be at the table because, again, back to our earlier point, we know how to have the conversations. Yeah. And the yeah. fact that that woman was saying um, no one had actually talked to the Aboriginal community that lived in that town, like I isn't you know, that horrendous just, though? It's like social work one hundred and one. Yeah. Um, yes, so that's it. Yeah. So I think I think that collaborative model is spectacular, and I I you know want to hear more about it. Yeah, me too.
0: The last thing that they also reminded everyone, they kind of put a bit of a, um, a challenge out there for for the listeners was to go and find your local activist group. They said look for activist opportunities there everywhere. Look,
1: and at the very least know who your local member is. Yeah. Have a conversation with them. Talk to them about a community issue.
0: Yeah, and likewise I would say go and find someone that inspires you and just engage with them. Listen to what they're putting out there. If it's a podcast or it's a radio program or watch what they're making and creating, go and hear someone speak. Like this is how we move forward in this area actually is engaging with the people that are inspiring us and then getting inspired ourselves
1: and, and the then inspiring f- others. But the, well, yes. And then the flip side is to have those hard conversations, oh, but take yeah. it from a different angle. Be less attached to having to prove your point. Listen to what the other person's saying and try and practice the empathy. What is it that that is driving their belief around this? Because it might be a way to have a a, a more enriching conversation with the person um, rather than having to be right. This conversation could have gone on all day. Oh, (laughs) totally. I could... Suggest to you that we leave here right now. The sun's still up and we can go. If you you tell tell me you're going to go and dig in your soil. It's time for the winter crop to go in, Mim. All I'm saying, I'm just saying. Keep me
0: indoors. A lovely cup of hot chocolate in front of the fire. (laughs) Thank you very much.
1: (laughs) So to our listeners, we are going to go. You can come with me to the garden or you can go and have a hot chocolate (laughs) with Mim. (laughs) <laughs> we could divide our listeners, perhaps. Let's do on an that. online poll of that <laughs> one. Please come in with me. That's right. I come and show. Come and show you, and show you that the pawpaws growing on my tree. She's not joking, people. Or you could just stay put, and you could contact us through email on socialworkstoriespodcast at gmail.com or you could send us something on Twitter or Instagram on at sowkstoriespod. I mean, the choices are there, Mim. There's no excuse. Uh, absolutely, I would agree. A hundred percent, Liz. Dig in the soil,
0: have a hot chocolate in front of the fire,
1: or send us a line. And add eco-social work to your frame of reference, which is what I'm going to do. I'm so And conversation excited. is your method of so practice.
0: About that. I know. I know. Have a good week, Liz. You too, Mim. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.